This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious, sugar-free, electrolyte drink mix. I tried this recently after hearing about it on another podcast, and since then, I've stocked up on boxes and boxes of this, and usually use it one to two times per day. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks. As a coach or an athlete, you will not find a better product that focuses on the essential electrolytes your body needs during competition. Element has become a staple in my own training and something we are excited to offer our coaches and student athletes as well. Element is used by military special forces teams, Team USA Weightlifting, at least five NFL teams, and more than half the NBA. You can try it risk-free. If you don't like it, Element will give you your money back, no questions asked. They have extremely low return rates. Element came up with a very special offer for you as a listener to this podcast. For a limited time, you can claim a free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. For U.S. customers, this means that you can receive an eight-count sample pack for only $5. Simply go to drinkelement.com slash justinclimo. That's drinklmnt.com slash justinclimo to claim your free eight-count sample pack. Drinkelement.com slash justinclimo. Cypress Grove Studios is supported by the Canyon Properties Group, the number one real estate team in Pebble Beach and Carmel, California. They specialize in ocean and golf front properties and have been leading the industry for over 35 years. If you've ever played golf in Pebble Beach or taken a run along Carmel Beach, you've definitely seen their listings. As their team has grown, they've expanded into dramatic ocean view homes in the Carmel Highlands, and most recently into the Santa Lucia Preserve, which encompasses about 10,000 acres with just 300 home sites, a Tom Fazio golf course, and over 100 miles of private trails. If you're looking for a seasonal getaway or interested in moving here full-time, be sure to reach out to Jess Canyon. I've known Jess for several years and have learned how complicated and diverse properties are in this area. She'll help you dial in the search to find what you're looking for, and like every great team, they focus on the details, execute at every step, and work as a group to provide the best value for each of their clients. For more information about the team and to check out their current listings, please visit www.canningproperties.com slash ysports. Once again, that's www.canningproperties.com slash ysports. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to Y Sports, a podcast designed to highlight the value of athletics as a foundation for any career path. Through interviews with professionals across industries, we discuss the impact of being part of a team, competition, learning to fail, and how those lessons transcend athletics into the workplace. Join us as we explore the importance of sports as professional development while our guests share what they have learned throughout their career. I'm your host, Justin Clarno. Welcome back to Why Sports. We are joined today by Lauren Johnson, mental performance coach and speaker. Super excited to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited for this. So you've had an interesting journey and your career is a little bit non-traditional if we go back to how people would nine to five it. This is a, a emerging field, which leads me to wonder 
not just my normal question, but as a former collegiate soccer player, high school soccer player, dabbled in a few other sports when you were younger, but how did that foundation in athletics allow you to initially get your foot down in the professional world and then have the confidence to jump out on your own from something that was probably a little bit more stable at the time? Yeah, so I started playing soccer at the age of five and completely fell in love with it. I think because it was equally fun and challenging at the same time. And like you said, I dabbled in a couple other sports, but I quickly learned that soccer was my love and ended up playing all through college. And I actually was going to school for kinesiology because I was going to be a physical therapist. And because I knew that there was the, just the sport foundation is what made me so interested in continuing to work in sport. I knew I didn't want to be like a soccer coach. I knew I didn't uh, want to be a trainer, but I did know that I wanted to do something. So when I saw physical therapy, it immediately intri um, intrigued me. So it was my third game in my senior year and I received my fifth concussion. And I was told if I wanted to remember my name at 40, it wasn't safe for me to play. And for anybody that identifies as a soccer player, a basketball player, a baseball player, you can imagine how hard that would be to almost have your identity taken from you. And even though I knew it was the right decision, it was still a hard one. And so when I finally made that decision that obviously my health was more important long-term, it was really hard for me to grasp. And although I was still a part of the team, I just had a different role. It wasn't on the field anymore. It was on the sidelines supporting everybody else. I was still searching for something. And because I was like, okay, if this isn't who I am anymore, who am I? So I decided to take an elective course randomly for, I think it was one of the first times they ever offered it in sports psychology. And I was the only person to sign up for the course. <laughs> so they had to make it an independent study class. And all the stuff I was reading and learning, it was almost like I was looking in the mirror. and. I related to everything that they were talking about, all these principles, all these tools. And when people say, what got you into sports psychology? It's because I was the athlete that needed it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know it. Mm -hmm. But when I started to reflect on all this material I was reading, I realized I'm, I'm getting in my own way. I'm limiting myself. And so I thought to myself, what kind of athlete and, and person would I have been if I knew these things? And then I thought, what kind of person can I be now that I do? And how can I help others to answer that same question? Yep. And so that's what made me dive into this and made me fall in love with it. It took the part of physical therapy I loved, which was the relationship with my clients mm -hmm. and helping them get through this injury mm -hmm. and transformed it into this one area that I loved so much. I completely fell in love with it. And I think the part of my sport that helped me continue and push is that once I found that thing, that passion that I loved, very similar to soccer, I was able to pour that dedication, that consistency, that grit, that discipline into something that I absolutely loved other than soccer. And so I realized that all the things that made me a good soccer player were the same things that made me a good mental performance coach. And I think sometimes we think if we're, if we have to break up with our identity, we lose that piece of us. But what I realized is that soccer isn't who I was. It was what I did. 
And it was who I was that made what I did so special. And so that wasn't limited to just soccer. I can transfer that to so many other areas. And so that's what um, inspired me to pursue a master's degree in performance psychology and, and then continue on with my career from there. I love that we're here already. Usually this doesn't come up till later, so we're just going to dive right in. When sports has been such a huge part of your growth and identity, and then it's now gone, either through your eligibility, being exhausted, or injury, or as a pro, you get cut, or even as a younger kid, you get cut. How do you transition when it's gone? And what do you teach your clients, people that you just come across who, like you just described, I was a soccer player and I had to figure out how to be Lauren who happened to play soccer. There's definitely a period of grief. It's like grieving a loss. And so I would encourage anyone that's going through that to not run away from that, to lean into that and to allow yourself to feel that. It is a loss of identity in that moment. And so For one, it's okay to feel that way. And then there's a moment where you go, okay, ask that question. What made me good at what I did? That's the question I had to ask myself because I think I just tied it all into the same thing. And I think that there's constants throughout our lives because what I learned was what made me a good soccer player made me a good friend. It continues to make me a good wife, what makes me a good daughter, what makes me a good mental performance coach and just continuously fill in the blank. And so what are those constants? That would be the question I would ask is not being soccer specific, but maybe what did soccer teach you? What did baseball teach you? What did basketball teach you about who you are? Mm-hmm. about how you deal with obstacles, about how you face adversity, about how you push through those days when you just don't feel like it, because that's what's going to continue to transcend in other areas of your life, not just that place. And then being able to apply those things, that's mm-hmm. where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. That's where that connection is made. And just to realize again, and you'll hear me say this a million times, is that the outcome of what you do isn't who you are. Mm-hmm. I like that. Let's dive right back into that then, because you asked the question, what made me good at what I did? And what are the constants that soccer taught you or basketball, or you said you used to do dance at one point, right? What are those for you? And more importantly, since often people can learn vicariously through these things, what are the standardized answers that you could offer that sports or competition provide in general in that space, right? What did it teach you? Mm. Number one is how to be a good teammate. How to show up for others. How to keep your word and to be reliable. How to make people around you look good. How to lift them up. I played center mid and I remember one of my number one goals was to make the people around me look really good by executing the right passes, by making the right runs. Because when our goal is to constantly make each other successful, it's like the boat rises with the tides. And so everybody rises as a result of it. So it really taught me to be, to look outside myself and to see that there was enough success for everyone. So that was one of the things. The other thing was that Mistakes are a part of the process. That failing is a form of progress. 
And that if you're constantly making the same mistake, you're not learning. But if you're never making new mistakes, you're not pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. And so there was this great quote that I came across when I was really struggling in my career. And it was be brave enough to suck at something new. And so for me, I think that every time now I'm in that really difficult moment of learning, I remind myself of that quote. And I also remind myself, Lauren, you're just in the growth zone. You're in that area where you grow because you can't be comfortable and grow at the same time. And then I think the other piece is that small things add up to big ones. And consistency is greater than intensity. And so for me, it's really important that on a daily basis that I focus on my consistency and I don't put too much emphasis on my intensity because there's going to be days when you don't feel like it. There's going to be days where you only, you wake up, you only got 50% to give. And so for me, my goal then those days is to give hundred percent of that 50%. Mm -hmm. And so it matters more to remain consistent than it does to be hundred percent intense all of the time because it's the consistency that adds up over time. Those are all great. And I want to zero in on a couple of them in order yeah. and get answers to them so that we can fully digest. So the idea of mistakes being part of the process, some people avoid the word failure. I like it. We were talking earlier, Rachel Luba, one of the things she said was failure way to success. And as a gymnast, that's constantly what was happening for her. And in this space, as you're coaching people about their mental performance and the perfectionism that's out there and how to deal with that, but how have your failures as you've really gone out and, and taken a huge risk to come out from under an organizational structure to building your own, what are some of the failures that you've experienced that have allowed you to grow? Because you said, if you're not learning from your mistakes, you're not stretching yourself enough. What are those moments you've had that you can point to and you don't have to get in the weeds on it but very much like this happened and it became this this happened and it became this and here's why i'm so grateful the biggest one that stands out to me was one that happened really early on in my career and right out of grad school i had two job offers on the line which is like a grad student's dream i was on cloud nine and i took some time to pick between the two and ended up choosing one but the only catch was that it was going to take six months to get placed, which was really normal for this position. So took the job, was really excited. I was like, great, I get six months, another one more summer before diving in. And six months goes by and I don't hear anything. And I reach out and I was like, hey, just checking in to see when I'm going to be placed or when I should be ex expecting to be placed. And I receive an email back that said, we're sorry the job is no longer available. You, the reaction you just made is what I looked like when that happened. <laughs> I was shocked because here I was told I had this position. Six months later, they're almost acting as if they didn't tell me I had this position. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I am so confused, so frustrated, so upset. And I like don't know what to do. I had moved to prepare for this. I had moved out of my place to prepare for this. I had nowhere to live. <laughs> I was living with my boyfriend's parents at the time. It, it, it was an interim because I knew I was moving soon, or I thought I was. 
And so I, I called everybody I knew and I kept hearing the exact same thing. Lauren, you need experience, which is a grad student's like <laughs> worth, like they hate hearing that, right? It's yeah. Okay. I needed an opportunity for that. And in sports psychology, you can't just go on like indeed.com mm-hmm. and type in sports psychology jobs. So I was in this position where there just wasn't any opportunities. I had exhausted all my options. So I decided I needed to make money somehow. I can't just be sitting here. So I decided to go work at Starbucks and one day at Starbucks changed my entire life. I was working the drive-thru and your job when you're working the drive-thru is to entertain the customer while their drink is being made. And I'm chatting it up with this guy and he's, are you in school? Which was a fair question. Most people were. He said, no, actually I just finished. And he goes, great. What'd you get your degree in? And I proudly told him performance psychology. And he just starts laughing. Like full on belly laughing to the point where I'm so confused. I finally had to ask, excuse me, sir. What's so funny? He goes, oh, you got one of those degrees you'll never use. And my mouth just fell to the floor. I was in shock. I had to walk away. Somebody else had to give him his coffee. I was so upset. And then I kept replaying it in my head over and over again. And I kept getting more mad and more upset. And then I got upset because I was upset because I'm like, this guy doesn't matter. Why are you like giving him this much power over you? And then I realized I'm not upset because he was rude, even though he was. I was upset because what he said was partially right. Here I was trying to go into a field that's all about pushing through adversity, finding a way when an obstacle blocks it, continuing, having discipline, like like finding a new path. This is what I teach. Mm -hmm. And how the hell am I going to be the best version of myself and the best coach that I can be if I'm not willing to take my own advice? Mm -hmm. And so I had to look myself in the mirror and ask myself, how bad do you really want it? And that was the night that I Googled how to start your own consulting company. And I started my own consulting company and I worked Starbucks from the morning shift from 2.30 AM to about 12 in the afternoon. And then after that, I would cold call, email, reach out to people. And I got a lot of no's, a lot of people ignoring, you know, my calls or my emails. And then every once in a while I get a yes. And I did that for a year, just grinding it out. And I got to the point where I could sustain myself on my consulting business. And after a year's time, I got an opportunity to interview with the Yankees and I got the job. And I spent four years with the Yankees before I decided to actually go out on my own again and start my own consulting company, which is where I am now. Awesome story. And even the tagline, one day at Starbucks changed my life. I'm sitting there going, wow, I'm on the seat of my pants for this. And then it's almost this mirror reflection that you weren't expecting, but that you got, even with all your training, it still needed to be put right in front of your face, which is a very interesting way to think of things when we're struggling and we don't think about seeking out help. We can figure this out, but even someone with all the training in the world had to have somebody hold up a mirror consistency is greater than intensity. And that story even speaks to that. You're going, you're cold calling every day, even when you don't want to. How have you seen that play out in clients that you've helped? And maybe even some of those that haven't been able to achieve what they wanted because maybe they didn't follow the prescription. Maybe 
they reach too far. Can you get into that a little bit and talk about why that is the secret to um, high performance? Yeah, half the battle is sticking with it long enough to see results. And the truth is, most aren't willing to stick it out as long as it requires. My good friend, Justin Sua said this, two things people underestimate the most, how hard it's gonna be and how long it's gonna take. And I learned that myself when I especially started building my social media presence. I was so frustrated. I was like beating my head against the wall most days. And it took me a solid two years before I gained any traction at all. And I kept reminding myself to just trust the process, to trust the process, to remain consistent. And I realized that as I did that, my stuff got better. And I had to remind myself that when you start anything new, there's two things that are important to remember. You're not going to be very good at it and it's going to take repetition to get better. And so I just kept telling myself, put in the reps, just focus on putting in the reps. And that's what a lot of my clients come to me for, or I work with them on is putting in those reps because especially on the mental side, we think about our brain and how we build new neural connections and new habits. We do that through repetition. And so we all have these default settings like an iPhone, but unlike an iPhone, we can't just download new apps, new ways of thinking, new ways of processing. And so the way that we do that is through repetition and it's through processing things in a different way. It's through maybe reframing something that is difficult. It might be through our response to discomfort or our response to becoming unfocused. And so when we do those things time and time again, it starts to become an, a more automated response. So now when I notice my brain starting to drift, mm -hmm. I can recognize it pretty quick and I can anchor my attention back where I need to be. That used to take a lot of effort, but over time it started to improve. And I'll give you an example of this as it pertains to the belief in ourselves. And I had one athlete I worked with many years ago and knew him pretty well. And I was at this affiliate working with the team. And it was odd because anytime I'd ask him a question, he was really short with me. And whenever that happens, I always think I need to work on that relationship. Maybe I haven't put enough time into it. So that was my goal was to spend some more time with him throughout this weekend. And it didn't matter. Anything I said, it was just a, a, a very short, quick response, like not interested. And I just thought to myself, man, I hope I didn't say anything to offend him at some point. I just never realized it. So one day I went to the cages and he was there early hitting by himself. And I just went up to him and I asked him, I said, Hey, do you mind if I ask you a question? Sure. He said, have I said anything to offend you? I just want to make sure because you seem a little short. I just want to make sure I haven't said anything. And he said, no, 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 that's not it. He said, I'm not a very good speaker. And I was like, I said, why do you say that? He goes, I don't know. I just don't think I'm very good at speaking. So I just try not to speak. And so a couple of days later, we ended up meeting and to talk further about this. And I said, can you tell me when that began? When did you begin that belief? And it took him a while to think about it. And he's, you know what? The first time I ever heard that was in second or third grade. I was trying to read something and I hesitated. And uh, my teacher told me I wasn't very good at speaking. And I asked him, I said, who's telling you that now? 
And he paused and he goes, I am. And so if we look at it in a formula kind of base, our identity equals our belief plus actions. So his belief was that I'm not a good speaker. And the actions that supported that belief was not speaking, avoiding it at all costs. And so what that became, his identity became the kind of person that doesn't speak up. And so I asked him, I said, are you okay with that? And he said, absolutely not. I don't want to be like that. I just don't know how. I said, okay, who do you want to be? He said, I want to be the kind of person that isn't afraid to raise his hand in a group. I said, great. So what actions will support that belief? And he goes, I need to raise my hand in those situations. So what we did is nobody knew this, but behind the scenes, we created, we've set him up for success. I would feed him questions before our sessions. So he was already prepared and he started that way. And then by the end of working with him, he was the guy that was raising his hand first. He was answering questions without being prompted. And so his action plus who he wanted to be equaled his belief. He decided who he wanted to be. And then he supported it with every action. And every time he acted within that belief, within that identity, it improved and supported that belief that he had of himself. And so that is one of the ways it's through that consistency that we can build up these different skills, whether it's, and we know this through physical training, we know this through building skills. We also know this through building habits, mm -hmm. not only around how we think, but also um, how we act. Oh, that's awesome. And I think a few things you touched on there is the cycle of thought that can be created over years in this case, if it's not interrupted by maybe some casual comment, and then you reinforce that belief. And you have to almost make a conscious choice to break that cycle and get reps doing the opposite to bring yourself back to neutral. And Sometimes there's a system needed to do that, like you gave him in this case. It also makes me wonder when we talk about responses and in athletics in general, people fail, right? They make mistakes. Basketball, you turn the ball over. The referee makes a foul call. Baseball, you strike out, whatever it might be. But what is your response to that failure? And that often dictates the outcome moving forward. So the question I have, is what tools can you offer people that this is not necessarily about sports, but it comes from that sports mindset, but what tools can you offer people that help with their mistake response? Something happens that didn't go the way they want. And, you know, am I going to sit in the corner and boohoo about it? Or am I going to use it as motivation? So basketball game, I turn the ball over. I could look at my hands like, oh, okay, my, it's your fault or right. It's okay. Next play. You give them a tool. What do you, what can you offer as a professional to people who are looking for a better way to respond to mistakes and utilize that to energize versus droop or get down on themselves? So it, the first thing that it reminds me of is Tony Gonzalez, NFL Hall of Famer. And I remember watching an interview and he said he was leading the league and dropped passes at one point. And he said, it was the worst. He goes, I was getting booed by my own fans. And he said, but it was because of dropping the ball that I learned how to catch it. He said, because when you are that low, you only have two options to continue in that direction or adapt to something new. 
And he said, and I decided to go the other way. And he said, and I'm so thankful for it because it was by dropping the ball, I learned how to catch it. Mm-hmm. And so from going from leading the league and dropped passes to being a hall of famer, what failure does is it leaves the door open to learn something new. And what we know is growth isn't an option in comfort. Growth doesn't have, you can't have growth and comfort at the, in the, at the same time. It can't occur that way. It occurs when we stretch ourselves because think about it, rubber band sitting on a table is useless. It provides no value. It only provides value when it's stretched. And so when we fail, we stretch a little bit. It makes us uncomfortable. It provides this area for us to grow, to expand and to expand our knowledge. And so if you think about our knowledge base, there are limits to our knowledge, right? And so if you think of it just, I don't know, like a square, there's limits to how much we know. And every time we push that limit, we can push that boundary and we can get that much better. And so when I think about Tony Gonzalez and all of that, some of it is going to take some self-reflection. You have to know that something's not going right or that there's an area where you need to improve if you're ever going to improve it. And so I think it starts with reflection. And one of the things you can do is journaling. I encourage journaling with all of my athletes and executives and clients that I work with. And three really basic questions that you can ask yourself on a daily basis is what can I do better? And what's one thing I can use moving forward? And so when we look at those three things, what went well is that no matter how bad your day was, there's always something that went well. And so don't be afraid to point those things out. A lot of times we don't like to beat ourselves up and just ignore all the good and just say it was horrible. We also want to make sure that we are the best athletes, the best executives. They're not only their biggest critics, but they're also their biggest fans. And so we can prime that response by learning to look for and hunt the good stuff, no matter how bad it is. And then two, you never stop improving. We never stop getting better. And so what did you do? Even if you had the best game ever, what's something you can do better? And then what can we learn from that and take forward as we continue? So journaling and self-reflection is a great one. Another one, especially in the moment, is reframing the way we look at failure and developing our relationship with it. Because we know those people that do not have a good relationship with failure. When they fail, they struggle. They are defeated. They fall down and they don't get back up or they keep making the same mistake. And so the question is, what is your current response to failure? Is it a good one? And if not, what would make it good? And what would be a bad response? That would be my other question is what dictates a bad response that kind of takes you out of the game. And it reminds me of this idea of, do you know who Dick Fosbury is? I do not. So Dick Fosbury was the guy who came up with how we high jump today. Fosbury Flop. I do know who he is. There we go. And in the Olympics, I think in 1968 Olympics, he was the first man to do this. So before then, all athletes would do the high jump with their chest facing the bar. Mm -hmm. And he decided to try it the opposite way. Mm -hmm. And that year, he broke all of the records. And like I said, it is now the norm called the Fosbury Flop. There is power in thinking the opposite. There is power when we challenge our current way of thinking. And so when we think about failure as a bad thing, 
My question is, how can it be good to you? How has failure helped you? Because the very failure you're experiencing could be the very thing that teaches you the lesson you needed to learn to get to that next level, to get to that next point. And so another way of thinking about it is reframing your situation and think about the opposite. If this is the way you're currently thinking, maybe challenge that way of thinking and think, how can this help me? How can this benefit me? How can I learn from this? Yeah. No, I love that. That's, I heard somebody say the other day, spend as much time in the presence of your opposite as possible so that you can learn the other side of the equation, especially in today's culture where we're all stuck in these echo chambers of people we follow and the news that's coming at us. And it's really a good way to think about things where you can get some help reframing where your mind is. And the follow-up I want to ask, we've gotten a little bit off course from sports, but that's fine. I think it's all connected. What do you do when you have somebody who logically knows the decisions that I am making are not helping me and can't change the behavior logically because it's so embedded subconsciously that the black and white of these decisions is really hard to break. So you take an example of somebody that's maybe overtraining, right? And that's not helping them grow. They know that, but they just can't stop. What tools do you have for that? How do you get somebody who knows, yo, this isn't a great idea or the perfectionism piece where it's black and it's white and I'm either hundred percent. Cause if I slip to 99%, then I can no longer identify as X. How do you help them? Do you have tools that you can offer there? So the first thing I, I had somebody ask me this question, she's a dietitian, and she said, I'll do everything to the point of writing out exactly every single thing they need to eat. And they're still not doing it. Why is that? And I said, that's because there is a need greater than their need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. There is a need they are meeting that is greater than their need to become healthy or eat healthier. Mm -hmm. And so my first thing would be what need is being met by not doing those things. That's the first and foremost. When we can get to that root, then my next question would be, why do you want this? A lot of times we will create goals, we'll set goals based on something we want but we neglect to discuss and decide why we want it. Yeah. And so I would wanna know, I would wanna help establish that why deep down, what is the reason? Why are you getting up and doing this every day? Why do you want to put any effort towards this? Because if you don't have a why that is greater than the punches you're about to take, you're gonna to fall to them every time. Mm. If you don't have a why that is greater than that pizza in front of you, if you don't have a why that is greater than the, your, your alarm that's going off and, and you're just like wanting to keep hitting snooze, if you don't have a why that's greater than any obstacle or difficult moment that's standing in your way, you will fall to it every single time. And so it's so important to know the reason behind why you do what you do, because when you're speaking to your why, you're speaking to the very part of the brain that is in control of your decisions. When you speak to the what, and when you speak to the how, you're speaking to the, your logical part of the brain. And that part of the brain is not in charge of decision-making. And so knowing the what and knowing the how is really important, but the most important piece is connecting it with why. 
Because when you speak to that part of yourself, you're speaking to the part of the brain that is in charge of all decision-making. So what if your why, and this is going to sound really bad and I don't have a better way to ask you, but what if your why has potential flaws in its logic, meaning you believe something to be true, Mm. but there's so many shades of gray that it may be true from this perspective, but when you really push against that truth, it's not really true. What do you do with that? Interesting. So you're saying that it falls through under pressure. Yeah, I'm saying that I could read something and I could believe that this is true. And therefore, this is where I'm going to base my decisions on and continue to affirm that mm-hmm. and not necessarily look at the other side of things or look at it, but not really give it the same weight as what I, I believe, even when there's various degrees of truth. Mm-hmm. How then do you help individuals figure out that why, which isn't necessarily just their truth, but it's the reality of what they're chasing and the way in which it can be vetted uh, in in a way that's helpful um, for them. I think the first one is setting expectations because a lot of times we go into these goals and we think about all the things that we're going to get on the other side but we forget to think about all the obstacles and things that are are going to be required of us to get through Mm -hmm. to continue. And so sometimes when we don't establish like what could get in the way, Mm -hmm. what could happen? And I remember I was reading this book, an astronaut's guide to life on earth by Chris Hadfield. And he said, it was important to think about all the things that could happen, the worst case scenarios. And he said, the worst case scenario in space is for a fire to happen on board because if you can't contain it there's nowhere to go Mm -hmm. so when we would train we had the expectation that this could happen and we had a plan that we were setting if it did and so one of the ways that we can work through difficult times is working through them before they happen Mm. and so a question you might ask yourself is, okay, if this is what you want, now I want you to imagine what might stop you from getting it. Mm-hmm. And another question is, what has stopped you from getting it before? Mm-hmm. And then once you've just dec- decided what those things are, or at least come up with some of them, then the question is, what are you going to do when you're faced with them? Mm-hmm. What is your response going to be? And so we call that if then planning or contingency planning. So if this happens, if a fire happens on board, then this is what I'm going to do about it. Mm -hmm. And now when we do that, we're creating this connection in our brain between a situation and our desired behavior to follow. And our brain loves it because our brain no longer has to make a decision. It just has to execute. And so that's another way that we can really work through those difficult times before they happen. But to answer your other question about that why, is a lot of times we're out of alignment, right? Yeah. And so that's a question I would ask because if we think about like Formula One cars, when they pit stop, sometimes it's because they're out of alignment. Mm -hmm. And when we're out of alignment in our own lives, our performance suffers in all areas, same as a Formula One car. So when they go into pit stop, they know what to do to get themselves back in alignment. Mm -hmm. And the way that I look at alignment in our own lives between what we want and between the gap between who we are and who we want to become is 
not only what you want, but that value behind it. And so my question would be, what are some of your values? Because when we establish those values, we can use those as our compass. Yeah. So I'm not just talking like values personally. I'm talking, what do you want in your career? What mm-hmm. about your relationships? Right. What about your intellectual capacity? Like, how do you want to improve that? What about your like physical body? What about your emotional, spiritual health? In those areas, what are those values and what are the things that you want? So it's just another area I might explore. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. All right, I have one more question. And it's somewhat related and it's also more back to this, the idea of how sports can teach us lessons that we don't even realize that carry forward. So in your line of work, you are working with people directly, giving them feedback. You work with the Yankees, right? They're, they're getting criticized daily in the New York media by their managers, their coaches, all these athletes you work with, this idea of constructive criticism. We'll call them feedback loops. It's a little bit nicer. But what have you found is the best way to get feedback to land as a coach, as a teacher, as a parent, as a peer, whatever, where your intention is really to help, but often it doesn't come across that way. So what are tools that you can offer as we close for people that may see something and everybody's intention is generally good, right? It's, hey, here's how I can help. What works with feedback loops and what doesn't? It all depends on your relationship. So the first thing is, and I forget who said, maybe Stephen Covey, I'm not sure. And, but it, I heard it through, again, one of my friend, Justin, was you want to develop a relationship that can bear the weight of truth. Mm-hmm. And I remember I made that mistake really early on in my career. I gave really tough feedback to somebody I didn't have that relationship with. And I spent the next four years trying to rebuild that. Now, the good thing about that mistake that I learned was I learned not to make that same mistake with any other person after that. And I learned that I had to develop that relationship first. And when I did that, I knew exactly the people I could tell really difficult feedback to and who I couldn't. But part of that relationship is knowing the person and knowing what works best for them. For some athletes, they could hear it the moment it happened. For others, the next day was better. Mm-hmm. For some, they wanted me, me to approach them. For others, they wanted to approach me. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of the feedback loop doesn't just come from giving feedback, but it's also receiving feedback on what works best for them. Mm-hmm. And that all stems from having a good relationship. And so I remember this pitcher, for example, he really struggled to maintain his composure on the mound. And he always said, I went up to him one day and I said, hey, how do you like to receive feedback? Is it helpful when I come up to you? And he said, you know what? I like to get at least an innings worth of just being by myself and then I'll come up to you. Hmm. And that became our new thing. And so I said, straight up asked him, how do you like to receive feedback? And just that alone opened up and helped develop our relationship even further because there was no question on what worked, he told me. And so I would encourage just opening that line of communication at the same time, developing that relationship that really helped me to navigate feedback in the best way. So simple, just ask, Mm -hmm. what is the best way for you to receive feedback? 
And it's going to be different for everyone, but having the vulnerability and courage to ask that is ultimately going to get your relationship on track a lot quicker. And I lied. I said last question, but this one's more of a soundbite before we get into where can people find you and talk about what you offer. You mentioned earlier, people always underestimate how hard it's going to be and how long it's going to take. And you use your social media presence as an example. But what advice do you have that is applicable across industry, across circumstance that addresses those two questions that people can just remind themselves almost like a mantra? Number one, when you sign up to do something great, you sign up for all that's required. It's going to be difficult. And so prepare yourself. Are you willing to adhere to the lifestyle that is required to achieve your goal? That's really important. And number two, how long are you willing to work to see the results of what you want? I think people, like I said, when they underestimate, it's okay. I think I've underestimated stuff. I, I know, I shouldn't say I think, I know I've underestimated some of my goals before, including one of them right now I'm facing is writing a book. I was like, oh, I can do that in a year. Yeah, hell no. Especially my first, holy crap. I am like, whoo, very underseasoned. Be willing to be flexible in your approach, but be committed to the thing that you really want. And I guess the question is, how bad do you want it? Yeah. That's a great way to wrap up. I really appreciate you sharing that. And that's really applicable to no matter what it is you're doing. If you keep those two things in mind. So you haven't had this opportunity. So now you get it after giving all that wisdom and people, or at least me, so soaking it in. What services do you offer? What is it that you do? Where can people find you? And how can you upgrade their life and their uh, approach to whatever it is they're trying to tackle in, in this world? Yeah. So some of the services that I offer is, and myself and my team, I have a great team that I'm starting to build now, but we offer keynote. I do a ton of keynote speaking. Um, I do, we do group and team development. So I, I do these like monthly calls with a lot of different clients. And then we also do one-on-one -on -one coaching and a lot of our stuff is customizable. So we do a ver various things and you can find all of us at laurenjohnsonandco.com. And um, there's a request form on there if you have any questions. And there, if you go to my website, also all of my social media is on there as well. Awesome. Appreciate you spending time with us today. This has been super informative and I'm looking forward to getting it out there and following. Uh, if people don't understand, jump on your Instagram. It's a great follow and your Twitter. I've been on there for a couple months now and I love what you put up. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me. Why Sports is brought to you by the Canning Properties Group, the number one real estate team in Pebble Beach and Carmel, California, specializing in ocean and golf front properties for 35 years. If you're looking for a seasonal getaway or interested in moving here full-time, head to canningproperties.com backslash sports, and they will dial up a search just for you. Hi, this is Natasha McGill, recreational tennis player at the club at Pasadena and labor and delivery nurse. Ever feeling tired after a long day at work or after tough practice? Try Element. That's L-M-N-T for the energy you're missing in your life. It's sugar-free and filled with electrolytes your body needs for energizing power. Try it risk-free, money-back guarantee with our special offer at Drink Element.
That's lmnt.com slash Justin Climo. You only pay the shipping. What's there to lose? Power up. This Cypress Grove podcast is proud to be sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on a special occasion. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard, sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and the Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations from every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. In addition, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful, the wines are great, and you're supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com. Discount code CONTACTS at checkout. If you found this valuable, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And give Y Sports and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support.